This morning, I am going to talk to you about bridges or barriers. One of my favourite Australian colloquialisms is uh, build a bridge and get over it. Have you heard that one? I remember the first time my friend said it to me. I was ranting about something that was some high teenage drama and he turned to me and said, build a bridge and get over it and I was so offended. How could he not understand? But as I've grown older, I actually see the wisdom of that saying, firstly because it's practical, right? Getting over things is a better way to live than staying angry and uh, stewing over something and working yourself up and not sleeping about it and getting a stomach ulcer and then the person who has offended you is going along with life and everything is fine and they have no idea what's happening. So getting over it in that way is, is a practical thing. And secondly, building a bridge is its a good metaphor because actually building a bridge is really hard, right? Especially if you're building a bridge over deep or very turbulent waters, building a bridge is quite an enterprise. It takes character and faith and intelligence and a whole heap of hard work to build a bridge. There's a Nigerian saying, it says, in the moment of crisis, the wise build bridges and the foolish build dams. It's hard to build a bridge. But the best bridge builder that I've ever known is Jesus. Now, you might think that that's a strange thing to say, but if I explain to you the way that I explain the gospel to most young people, then you'll understand why I think that. Now, before I go to the next slide, please don't judge my artwork. I'm a pastor. I have a theology degree. I don't have any art in my history or bones or blood anywhere. So that's the disclaimer. Let's begin. In the beginning, God created everything perfect. And everything was in harmony. And Adam and Eve were happy and loved and safe. But then came the snake. And they took the, the fruit of the tree and they ate and sin entered the world. And it opened a huge chasm between God and man. And there was no way to fill the chasm, no matter how hard they tried at being nice and good and keeping Sabbath and being vegetarian, no matter what they did, it didn't fill the huge gaping hole between them and God. Enter Jesus. Jesus built a bridge between God and man. His sacrifice made a way for humanity to join with God again and to live in his presence. And if we submit our lives to God, if we admit that we are sinners in need of a saviour and invite Jesus to come into our lives, then he will accept us the way that we are, but he will not leave us that way. He will change us. And he will eventually, when he comes back, lead us back to heaven and we will be reunited with him for all eternity. Do you see now why I think that Jesus is a bridge builder? That Jesus has made a way between us and God. 
And if we are followers of Jesus, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6 tells us, whoever claimed to live in him, that is to live in God, must live as Jesus did. So that gives us a challenge to also be bridge builders. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is that all your interactions are to build a bridge between God and the people in your life. Your interactions with your spouse, your siblings, your parents, your neighbours, your friends, your work colleagues need to be bridges that draw people closer to God, not barriers that push them away. I grew up a Seventh-day Adventist. And so did my brother. We grew up in a small country church in Victoria. And growing up, I remember lots of people throwing barriers in my faith's way, but I would not abide by them. My brother, however, over time succumbed to the influences of those bridges. And one of the biggest ones in recent history as an adult is that people keep saying to him, when are you going to give up smoking and come back to church? Always in that order. When are you going to quit smoking and come back to church? And I'm going to own this because I have also used that with my brother when I was younger and more foolish. I would say to him, you know what, why are you doing this smoking thing? And I would focus on the smoking and the smoking, it's unhealthy, it's going to kill you, it's going to shorten your life, it's not good for your mental health. And I would have all these reasons for why he should quit smoking. If, and one day as I was doing this, God said to me, you're not helping Recently, my brother said to me, I'd love to be a Seventh-day Adventist. I believe that it's the truth. I believe that you guys are holy people, but at the same time, I I can never be an Adventist because I'm never going to give up smoking. And that was when God really convicted me that I had done the wrong thing in focusing on the smoking, in focusing on the behavior and not focusing on the relationship that I had created a barrier between him and God, that I had continued to push a barrier between him and God. It's easy to build barriers. All you have to do is kick a little bit of dirt over and you've got a little mound. You can dig a barrier, you can get a concrete barrier, you can just use words. Barriers are easily built but difficult to pull down. And I guess I've learnt from that that even if something is wonderful like our health message and quitting smoking, that these things that are for our protection and for our benefit, if I use the wrong way, can become barriers between people and God. And Jesus is all about removing barriers. If you turn with me to John chapter 2 and verse 13 to 17, we have an example of Jesus removing a barrier. That's John chapter 2, verse 13 to 22, uh, 13 to 17. And it goes like this. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple courts. He found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So just before Passover, Jesus decides to go up to the temple. And he walks into the Gentile courts, and he's thinking what's, what is, should most likely be happening at this time is people should be worshipping, Right? They should be having quiet time. The Gentiles should be able to be connecting to God. That is the purpose of the temple. Instead, he walks in and he sees cattle buying. He can see the doves cooing. He can hear the money changers calling out the best exchange rates. 
And the house of God, which will be a quiet place of prayer, is a place that seems more like Sydney after the uh, New Year's Eve fireworks. Have you ever been in Sydney after New Year's Eve fireworks? It's back-to-back, people pressed up against each other, it's loud, everybody's trying to get through, it's pushy, it's not a nice worship environment, that is for sure. And that's what Jesus has walked into. Now, I don't think that the Pharisees intended for this to happen, right? I don't think that the Pharisees woke up and decided we're going to build a barrier for the Gentiles to not be able to get to God to pray. I don't think that's what's happened here. I think what's happened is the Pharisees got together and they said, Passover is coming. There's going to be lots of people coming from different countries, from different regions. Not all of them are going to have sheep. Not all of them are going to have the doves they need. Let's provide them a service to make a bridge for them to to be able to worship more easily, right? That's how this started. And so they had a couple of stalls the first year and then they had a couple more stalls the following year and then the following year they had more stalls and come way down the track and it's become a marketplace, right? Sometimes the things that are bridges that are supposed to bring us to God can become barriers. And so Jesus walks into this situation. And he's about to build a bridge and remove some barriers. Verse 15. So he made a whip out of cords and drove them all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. In a display of righteous indignation, Jesus removed the barrier and he built a bridge for the seekers to come into communion with God. The main reason that the Pharisees didn't get along with Jesus was because their traditions and their opinions had become so strong in them that they were incapable of seeing what God was actually doing right in front of them. They weren't bad people. They weren't hateful people. They were people who prayed. They were people who read the Bible. They were decent human beings. But they had lost sight of what was important. For instance, they wanted to keep the Sabbath holy. It's a wonderful thing to keep the Sabbath holy, and I pray that we are all endeavouring to do that. And so the Pharisees, to protect the Sabbath, to create a framework so that people couldn't even accidentally transgress the Sabbath because they loved the Sabbath so much and they wanted to protect it so much, they wrote up 39 tenets of how to keep the Sabbath. And so they listed the six main work areas because the whole thing about Sabbath was not to work and not to uh, build your own kingdom. So, you know, don't seek your own pleasure. Don't build your own kingdom. Don't try and make yourself get more wealthy or whatever you're doing. So they narrowed it down to these six areas and then they had 39 things that were done in those six work areas and they said, okay, this is how you keep the Sabbath. That's why Jesus' disciples got in trouble in Mark chapter 2 because they were breaking not one of the tenets, not two of the tenets, but four 
of the tenants were being broken by the disciples walking through the field on Matthew in Mark chapter 2. They were reaping, they were winnowing, they were selecting, and they were sifting. So they were in trouble, man. The Pharisees were not trying to do a bad thing in trying to stop people from work, but they'd just gone that one step too far. And so Jesus in Mark chapter 2 and verse 27 to 28 builds a bridge. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. It really unhinged or unnerved the Pharisees because they were trying to do the right thing. But they were building barriers instead of bridges. They were creating more things to keep people from God rather than building bridges to get people closer to God. The difference between a Pharisee and and a follower of Jesus is whether they are building bridges or building barriers. When Alessandra was very small, I didn't really like taking her to church very much, I'll be honest. She was a very busy child. She would not sit still for a second. I would sit up the back with her and she would just wander from, and they'd set up a little area for us in the back of the church. Some, some of the lovely people there had set up an area so that she could just be contained. And, um, <laughs> and we would have little toys and things set up for her and she would stay in that little area. And sometimes, when my husband was preaching a sermon that she particularly agreed with, you would hear her tiny little voice yell out, Amen! Um, Which not everybody appreciated. So I had a lady come to me one day and say, You know, when I was younger, and I had my children, my children were silent and still in church. And I thought, Okay. I said, Thank you very much. And I kept walking. See, I try to not build barriers and I try not to offend people because I love people and I don't want to hurt anyone. And if the things I say today offend you and hurt you, I'm sorry, that's not my intention. But if you're convicted by the Spirit that things need to change, then feel free to get angry with God because he's the one that's convicting you on that. Um, But I didn't say to this lady, so your children who are silent and still in church, where are they today? I didn't ask her because I knew that her children hadn't been to church from the day that they turned 18 and could get out of their home, they were gone. And they didn't think very highly of her and they thought even less of the church. Sometimes the things that are good, that we mean for for good, turn out to be barriers and she had built these barriers between her children and the church and God. God forbid that that should happen to any of us. God forbid that we should unknowingly build barriers instead of bridges. It's an interesting thing, you know, the different generations. I learn so much when I work with the kids in Sabbath school or when I listen to my daughter. Her faith is so different to mine. And I listen to Nan Lawrence and I learn so much from her. And I listen to Chris Martin, who's here with me as the elder today, and his faith is so different to mine, the things that he's passionate about. But when he talks to me about them, when I learn these things from people from different generations, it gives me this full, beautiful picture of God. 
because every generation seems to capture a different facet of God's wonder. And God is wonderful. And if we stop, and instead of letting those things that separate us, we let those things lead to conversation, then we can come to a fuller and a more vibrant view of God. And isn't that what you want? Don't you want to see more of God? Don't you want to know more of his character? If you want to know more about God, sit down and ask a child about God. Because they know a lot about God. Young people, if you want to know more about God, sit down with one of these faith warriors who have gone ahead of you. These guys know a lot about God. Let's open the dialogue. Let's build bridges to God and not barriers. God is wonderful. That's why Jesus wanted to build a bridge between us. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 7 and verse 36 to 50. And we're going to go pretty fast. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. So Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and sat at the table. A sinful woman in town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she brought a alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind Jesus as his, at his feet crying. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, and she dried them with her hair, kissing them many times and rubbing them with perfume. This woman, she caught a glimpse of God's glory in Jesus' ministry, and she was so smitten with God, so taken over by his goodness, so transformed by his love that she seeks out Jesus and wants to do something completely unusual for him. And she wants to anoint his head with oil. I think that's what she's planning to do. But when she gets there, she's so overwhelmed by the depth of what's happened and the change in her life that she ends up falling at his feet and begins weeping. And she begins to to pepper her tears over his feet and she wipes them with her hair because she hadn't thought that she was going to be on her feet at hands and feet at his feet. That was not the plan, right? You anoint people's heads with oil, not feet. And so she's there, and then she's like, well, while I'm here, she starts pouring this expensive perfume that was worth a year's worth of wages over his feet and wiping them with her hair. And this is a a pretty unusual thing. Like, if someone came in and did that to Pastor Abel while he was preaching, right? It'd be pretty unusual, right? It's even more unusual in this culture where women did not touch holy men. Women didn't touch anyone, really, except other women and family members um, because they could be ceremonially unclean and men generally avoided them. But this woman comes and she she touches Jesus' feet and she weeps on them and she anoints them. And when Simon sees this in verse 39, he's, he's not impressed. When the Pharisee who asked Jesus to come to his house saw this, he thought to himself, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know that the woman touching him is a sinner. And Jesus said to the Pharisee, Simon, I have something to say to you. Get ready for it. Jesus is about to build a bridge. Simon said, teacher, tell me. He's totally unsuspecting, huh? No idea. Jesus said, two people owed money to the same banker. 
One owed 500 coins and the other owed 50. They had no money to pay what they owned, but the banker told them both that, that they did not have to pay him. Which person will love the banker more? If you have a mortgage and your mortgage is $250,000 and your friend's mortgage is $500,000 and you go to the bank and you say, I can't pay my mortgage anymore and the banker says to you, it's all right, I forgive you. Just forget about it. We'll just get rid of the entire debt. How happy do you think you'd be? And who would be happier, the guy who lost the $250,000 loan or the half a million dollar loan? That's the question. Well, Simon the Pharisee answered, I think it would be the one who owed him the most money. And Jesus said to Simon, you are right. And then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? When I came into your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss of greeting, but she has been kissing my feet since I came in. You do not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. I tell you that her many sins are forgiven. So she showed great love. But the person who is forgiven only a little will love only a little. Isn't it the same with us? I've grown up a Seventh-day Adventist my whole life. And it's easy sometimes to think that because I have that grounding, I haven't sinned as much as the bad people in the big bad world. The fact is, sometimes I think I'm a bigger sinner than those people in the big bad world. Because at least they don't know any better. Right? At least they don't know any better than to gossip or to hurt other people's feelings or to slander people. They don't know any better because they don't know Jesus. But we know better. And we still don't behave the way that we ought to. Jesus built bridges between sinners and God. And he granted them forgiveness. Do we? There's this lady who lived between two Adventists. She was on good terms with both of them, but with one of them she was really, really close to. And every week they would go to each other's home a couple of times a week and they would eat in each other's home. And on the other side she had the other lady that she also knew. One day the lady on the other side, who she didn't see as often, said to the non-believing lady who lived in the middle, um, would you like to come to one of our special services? And the woman said, absolutely not. And she was shocked and taken aback. She said, well, that was a very definitive answer. And the lady said, look, I've lived next to you both for over a decade. And I am at my neighbor's house every single week. And when she, comes, when, when she comes to my house, I make her a vegetarian meal. I have gone and I've bought her favorite decaffeinated beverage. And I love spending time with her. But when I go to her house, I don't expect her to cook me meat. That's fine. But she knows that I'd love a coffee after my meal. She comes to my house every week. She knows that I'd love a cup of She knows the brand that I like. But she's never gone to the trouble of just getting me a cup of coffee to accommodate me. I do all these things to try and accommodate her and to meet her halfway, but she would not do the same for me. And I don't know if I want to be associated with people like that. Now, her neighbor next door, who saw her a couple of times a week, had no idea, has no idea to this day that that was the case. 
She thought, I'm protecting her from being um, hyped up on caffeine. And look, I can't stomach caffeine, so I understand that protection barrier. I don't drink it ever. But this thing that was supposed to protect the woman is being taken as a barrier to God. And none of us... None of us are innocent, right? We've all had pharisaical moments. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've never been a Pharisee because I don't want you to have to lie in front of everyone. The fact is we've all had a moment where we've been hypocritical, where we've known that we should do one thing but we've done something else, um, where God has tapped you on the shoulder and said, invite that person to church, and we've gone, oh, it's all right, God, they don't want to come. Um, we've had those moments, right? So I'm, I'm not judging anyone but I am encouraging you to think to think about our actions our words our attitudes our behaviors the way that we use our money the way that we interact with our friends and our colleagues to be mindful of it I'm a big fan of bridges my favorite bridge is the Westgate bridge there's nothing special about it I just like it ever since I was a kid I've always loved it My second favorite bridge, which is a close second, is the um, chain bridge in Hungary in Budapest. It has two really cool lines that are down near the bottom there, so you drive up past them, and I just love that bridge. The Sydney Harbour Bridge is a really pretty bridge, and I quite like the Stockton Bridge. But, no, I don't like the Stockton Bridge at all, actually. I told a lie, now I tell the truth. It is my least favorite bridge in the whole universe. Now, I have a thing about bridges, right? I love bridges. I think they're beautiful. I enjoy them on so many levels. But I don't actually like driving over bridges. When I was a child, I sat in a church like this, and a very overly zealous evangelist decided to share the story of the falling of the Tasman Bridge, right? In graphic detail. And from that time, I have had nightmares of driving over a bridge and it falling out from underneath me. So when I drive over the Stockton Bridge, I am terrified. The whole time, my my heart is in my throat. I'm clutching the steering wheel with white knuckles. And I'm just shaking and praying, shaking and praying. That builds my faith, (sighs) driving over that bridge. I love bridges, but I'm scared of bridges, right? And sometimes it's the same when we share our faith especially intergenerationally. Sometimes I sit with the teenagers and they're sharing their faith and I'm so impressed by how they are building bridges from their generation to God. And I'm so impressed with them and inside I'm shaking and I'm frightened because the way that they're building bridges to their generation is different to the way that I built bridges to my generation. And it feels strange, and I feel tempted, like maybe I need to build a barrier here, maybe I need to stop them from going there. But if I build a barrier, if I stop them from making links from their generation to God, then I'm going to steal from them their ability to win people to Christ. Have any of you ever felt that way too? Have you ever heard of the way that some of our young people talk about God and felt uncomfortable because their faith is different to our faith. My challenge to each of us, including myself, is that if you're tempted to build a bridge, listen first 
uh, to build a barrier, listen for what is underneath it. Listen to what you're hearing from these people. Use your words, your time, your finances, your influences to build bridges from yourself to God and for other people to God. Today, God asked me to challenge each of you with this, um, with this question. Are you building bridges or barriers? What are you building? What is your life's direction? Are you using your words, actions and attitudes to build barriers to keep people away from God or to build bridges leading people to God? In front of you, I'm not sure where to go from here. I realize some of you may be offended by what I preach today. I'm going to lay that out there. (laughs) I realize that some of you may be offended by what I preach today. And that's okay. That's absolutely all right. Um, I encourage you, if you've been offended today, to go home and write me an email. Write down all the things that I said wrong and write down why they're wrong. And... um, And then I want you to sit back when you're finished and take a deep breath. And then I want you to change the line that has my name in it and address it to God. And then I want you to sit down with that email and I want you to read it out to God. I do this sometimes. When people really hurt my feelings or offend me, I actually do this. I write out why they've offended me. And then I sit down and I pray it out, right? And oftentimes I find that I have maybe misunderstood what's been said or, um, or I have some preconceived beliefs that are different to what's been shared with me, right? And I've never sent an email. And I probably never will. But if you are still upset after that process, please feel free to come and have a chat with me. That's absolutely fine. Or if you like, there is a card in front of you And um, inside it, it has some different things that you can tick. Um, If you are a new visitor today and this is the first time you've ever been in an Adventist church, you're welcome. I'm glad that you're here. Um, If you have been inspired by the gospel and Jesus' bridge building, please fill out the, the form if you want to know more about God's plan for your life, if you want to rededicate your life to Christ. If you want to be baptized or rebaptized, if you want to receive more information of more services that are coming, I know that we have lots of really talented preachers that come and preach here every week. Uh, So fill out that bit, write in your name and your address, um, and if you have any prayer requests, please include them on this and give them to the deacons as you exit. They will be at each of the doors. Thank you very much for the opportunity to share with you something that is close to my heart because my entire ministry has been about building bridges and I just pray that the Lord will lay it on your heart that you will build bridges between yourself and God and your fellow man.